Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I am your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined today with Dr. Ashley Dietrich of Forefront Dermatology. Ashley recently finished her training at UNC Chapel Hill, and she is now back in the Milwaukee area working as a dermatologist, like I said, with Forefront Dermatology. So thank you, Ashley, for joining us today. Um, Thanks for having me. Welcome. So first things first, you know, we have a wide range of listeners, you know, from high school on up through adults. And I think it's always important to share, you know, what got you into medicine and more specifically dermatology? So um, when I was um, in later grade school, early high school, um, I actually saw my home dermatologist and um, kind of thought I was interested in medicine. And so she invited me to shadow her for a little bit. Um, and I just loved the practice. I loved the relationship that she was developing with her patients. I thought that it was great that she could do prevention um, and really improve patients' quality of life. And so I really did get my start in medicine with dermatology, kind of always in the back of my mind. Um, and I was very uh, determined and um, felt that medicine was just the right fit for me. So all throughout high school and into college, I knew that I wanted to go to medical school. Um, and then it, but it wasn't until I was in medical school and I did my rotations that I really developed a love for dermatology. Um, I really did love the breadth of, um, the variety of skin conditions that we treat. And I really loved that the focus of dermatology is on improving patients' quality of life, really Mm. helping patients feel more comfortable in their own skin rather than focusing on sort of like um, mortality or um, increasing a person's lifespan. We really are trying to focus on how can we improve your quality of life from day to day. Um, And I absolutely love that about dermatology. It's a very interesting perspective. Now, um, just to help other people better understand, what are some of the things that you commonly treat? And then also, what are your some of your favorite things that you're really interested in treating? Yeah, so I'm really excited in dermatology to treat um, patients of all ages. So I treat um, newborns, um, kids in grade school, high school, um, college, and then all the way through um, to adults. And I love treating, you know, common things such as eczema, psoriasis, acne, um, things like that. But also um, not only um, diagnosing, but then treating skin cancers. Um, Those are some of my favorite things. And then I have a special interest in cosmetics and dermatology, such as Botox and fillers and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But really looking at the the whole patient and really trying to improve their quality of life as much as I can. It seems like there's a lot of things that are kind of on the rise with dermatology. I know that there's been a lot of new updates with like care of acne and stuff like that. Um, I personally haven't experienced it, but I have a lot of patients that do. What are, what are some of the things that are on the rise for that treatment? 
Yeah, so the hot topic right now in dermatology has to do with um, wearing masks and this thing that they're dubbing mask oh. maskne, um, which is actually really common. And I myself um, have had this occur. Um, we're wearing masks, you know, all day during this time. Oh, and, yeah. And um, it's not just the, the mask is creating an environment with humidity and things like that, but it's also irritating to the skin. And hmm. so I think this is a really common complaint. Some really easy things that everyone can do um, is to try to wash their face with a gentle cleanser um, before, after using the mask, actually putting a moisturizer on, um, one that it says on the bottle, non-comedogenic, which means non-acne forming, can hmm. be really helpful. And then just a mask tip in general, I think that the way to tolerate them is to always have gum. (laughs) (laughs) Make the situation more bearable. (laughs) Well, all good things to keep in mind as this is now becoming more of a part of our lives on a daily basis. Yes, probably will be for a while now. Absolutely. So part of the reason why we brought um, Ashley on to speak with all of us is that You know, it is now Wisconsin and we are in the heat of the summer. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that is most important for all athletes is to always remember and keep in mind in their practice for sun safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wanted to bring her on today to talk with us about some of the facts about skin cancer and sun safety. So that way all of you leave this podcast feeling more prepared for the next time you're headed outside. So the first thing I want to do is, Ashley, why don't you just take us through some of the facts about skin cancer? Yeah, so I was um, pretty shocked when I was first hearing about some of the numbers. And so one of the most um, um, common things I like to talk about is that there's more skin cancer diagnosed in the United States every year than all other cancers in the U.S. combined. It's not even what you would think when you think of like the commonalities of like breast cancer or things like that. Like you would think that that's more on the forefront. Yeah. And it's something that we're talking about more, but um, there's three different types of skin cancer. There's melanoma, which I think a lot of people will hear about, but then also basal cell skin cancer is the most common cancer in the U.S. out of all cancers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then second to that is squamous cell skin cancer. Um, And so a couple other things are that one out of five Americans will get diagnosed with a skin cancer before age 70. Um, So it's super, super common. Um, In fact, more than two people die in the U.S. of skin cancer every hour. So if you put that in perspective. You wouldn't even um, think that, yeah. Yeah, that's just not something you really think about. Um, And I think what's important now is that you can help yourself um, when you are younger and you're an athlete because five or more sunburns doubles your risk of melanoma in the future. Just five. Wow. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. So the more that you can try to protect your skin now, the more benefit you'll have later. Wow. I, I mean, I've always known it to be important, but I had no idea how staggering those numbers really are. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. So what is, obviously you have a lot of patients that come in to see you and you kind of get to experience kind of their almost like misunderstanding of all this on a regular <laughs> basis. Yes. So what are some of those myths that, you know, people often believe to be true that you see that you would kind of like to clarify for others about sun safety? Yeah. I love to debunk a few myths here with us today. Um, And so one of the most common things that I hear about is that um, a tan protects me from the sun or... Or the um, first burn. Exactly. Or (laughs) I need to get a first burn or I need to get a base tan before I go on vacation. Um, I mean, there's a lot of research that's been done on this and there's 
there's really no truth to it actually. Every tan indicates some level of sun damage to our skin. Um, and then specifically, there's no safe base tan. Um, so let's just debunk that right there. But also specifically with indoor tanning, um, a lot of people would say, well, indoor tanning or tanning beds have like less sun intensity than me just being outside or laying out outside. Well, in reality, indoor tanning emits 10 to 15 times more UV radiation than the sun during peak hours, which mm. is usually between the hours of 10 and 2. And it's just very concentrated in that time it that you're is. in theory doing that, if you want to call it treatment. Yeah, per se. it is. And women who tan indoors um, in their younger years are six times more likely to develop melanoma in their 20s oh my God. than their counterparts. So these are things that are like very real. It's not just something that you're going to get when you're 50, 60, 70. Um, right. This is actually something that could be a concern when you're younger. So um, no safe uh, base tan. <laughs> yeah. So let's debunk that. Um, there are many safe alternatives if you really want to have a look of a tan. Mm -hmm. um, you can use um, selfless tanner um, or sunless tanner or um, spray tan. Yeah. Really easy, really safe. Um, and then some of the other things that we always hear is that, well, I need my... Uh, I need my sun so that I can get all my vitamin D for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and it is true that there's a certain part of the vitamin D pathway that is um, um, where the sun converts one of the enzymes. But in reality, you get enough um, appropriate vitamin D from your diet, mm -hmm. from a typical diet, than you would need from the sun. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. You kind of mentioned about women in their 20s. I feel like oftentimes people think that like, skin cancer is like a cumulative thing that like eventually you'll kind of be treated for it in your seventies, you know, cause I had all these years out in the sun, so on and so forth. You know, what are kind of some of the average ages of people that you've treated in your clinic with, you know, pre, even pre skin cancer type symptoms or like even, I guess just for perspective, like what's one of the younger patients that you've seen? Yeah. Um, I would say that I would say it's definitely more the norm to be a little bit on the older side when mm -hmm. you have skin cancer. Um, but it's certainly becoming much more common in the yeah. younger population. Actually, the first melanoma that I ever diagnosed in residency was in um, a 24-year-old female. Wow. Um, and she had a mole that had changed on the back of her leg. And um, she actually had no family history or anything, just came in for a routine skin exam. We were so happy that we caught that really early. Yeah. It was very treatable. Um, but yeah, she was very young. Um, and so it's not uncommon certainly to have skin cancer at a younger age. And certainly if you've had a history of indoor tanning use or many blistering sunburns or your mm. very fair skin, red hair, you know, that kind of thing, um, that you're at much higher risk. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One of our mentors who is now the director of sports medicine at Texas A&M, She's mm -hmm. a physical therapist and athletic trainer. She also is with the U.S. women's hockey team for a while. Oh, so wow. she's got a few gold medals on her uh, wow. shelf. <laughs> but she was a big softball player growing up, uh, very athletic. And she actually had like right on the crest of her cheek, mm -hmm. kind of like where you no longer have the shade from your hat. Mm -hmm. um, and she felt like she was pretty good about her care. But, you know, I think that was also 20 years ago now. 
but she had um, a cancerous lesion on her cheek mm-hmm. that actually they had to go through and do a pretty aggressive biopsy and care of the site. And I honestly think she was maybe twenty. I don't even I don't even yeah. think she was twenty one yet when that happened. And you know, kind of like when you think that it's not going to be me. You know, for all the days that she stood out at practice and all the mm-hmm. tournaments and everything else, like she had a high level of exposure based off of her sport and, you know, kind of in that area that just didn't get the same coverage as other spots mm-hmm. and it just got hit. And um, so she's a huge advocate for early awareness um, in sport for this and things like yeah. that. So, you know, and I guess that kind of leads me to my next question of, you know, I think sometimes we need to be aware of like these like common spots, you know, mm-hmm. things that you don't think about. Are there areas that you see where you're commonly seeing some of these things popping up more often or areas that people miss taking good care of that now all of a sudden you see this more precancerous, you know, presentation? Yeah. Are there areas that we should pay attention to more? There definitely are. I would say that the vast majority of skin cancers and sun damage in general is certainly on the head and the neck. Hmm. Um, And now I would say um, most people are kind of aware like, oh, I should wear my sunscreen. And and most people will apply their sunscreen on their face. But common spots that get missed in men in particular, it's the tops of the ears Mm -hmm. and the back of the neck because those are really, they're never covered by a baseball cap. Um, and those are easily missing. You're getting a lot of direct sun exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, in women, the most common places that are missed is actually the neck and the upper chest, mm-hmm. as well as the hands, um, Interesting. which are really common to also show some very early aging. Yeah. Um, and so another reason to want to kind of protect those areas, but honestly, they're, they're missed um, pretty frequently. And I think it's something that's an easy fix. Absolutely. Well, I just think like you kind of worry about like, did I get my arms? Did I get my legs? Mm -hmm. You think about like the big areas that kind of those more detailed areas can easily be overlooked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I worked with a coach who he had skin cancer right on the tip of his nose Mm -hmm. and the tip of the base of his lip because the brim of his hat cast a pretty good shadow, but it was like just that area where it just barely missed that he just didn't have that coverage and, you know, kind of an area where he did, probably didn't apply much to his face. And yeah. now all of a sudden we're in a different conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's interesting to like just be extra aware. I know after getting to know you, like I'm always getting my ears and I'm getting this, <laughs> my son's ears in the back of his neck and everything because, you know, those definitely are the areas that kind of get scorched and you don't realize it until it's too late. Yeah. You know, and by the time you're back inside in the evening now, you can really feel that you really missed that one little area. Oh, for sure. Which can obviously make a big difference in the bigger picture. I mean, and I remember being younger, um, sunscreen and, and sun protective clothing was like not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every picture of me at the beach is in this, you know, little bikini, even when mm-hmm. I was like a little toddler. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, I think it's incredible that you oh, yeah. do not see like a young boy at a pool without wearing a swim shirt and they mm-hmm. have swim hats and, you know, everyone's lathered in sunscreen. And I think they've really done such a great job um, yeah. of making that kind of the norm and sort of what's what's expected. And so hopefully that'll translate to less sun exposure over time. Hopefully kids uh, keep those habits up as they get older and start to do all this on their own. Absolutely. I can only hope that my (laughs) two-year-old still keeps up with all the things that I'm trying to do for him. (laughs) Time will only tell on that one though. Um, So when we kind of come into like protection conversation, so A, I think it's actually a great point to talk about, you know, the sun safe clothing, you know, mm-hmm. I think about like parents sitting in the stands or, you know, if you're playing a long round of golf or things like that, that there's actually a lot of great things that you could do where you don't have to worry about lathering up all the time mm-hmm. and make it really easy to protect yourself. It sounds like. 
Yeah, I would say my tips in general, and I try to do this for myself and my husband all the time, which is, um, you know, the best thing you can do is try to seek shade and try to just stay out of the sun as much as possible. Um, but I'm an athlete and, you know, we play golf um, in the middle of the day and I play tennis and pickleball and all kinds of things. And um, there's not much shade there. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? And so the first thing you could do is certainly wear a hat. Try to wear as wide a brimmed hat as you can. Certainly if you're sitting in the stands, you know, you could wear a wide brimmed hat there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least wear a baseball cap. Yeah. Um, sun protective clothing. I'm a huge fan. Um, You want to look for clothing that has a UPF factor. Most clothes have a UPF factor of 50. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my favorite brand is a brand called Mott 50. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a lot of their clothing and a lot of their swim clothes and things like that that I'll wear on a regular basis. It's just easy. You don't have to protect, you know, put on a bunch of sunscreen. You can just go out and... um, Along those lines, how much protection does like a normal t-shirt give? Yeah, so most t-shirts, which are cotton material, um, they do an okay job, I would say. I certainly am not recommending patients put on sunscreen and then put on their t-shirt. Yeah. um, Because it does does actually do a good job of um, protecting. But that kind of leads me to kind of like, what do you look for in a sunscreen and what's what's truly protected? And like, how do you, um, you know, read a label because it's confusing. We throw all these numbers like SPF and UPF and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And should you wear 30 or 50 or 100, you know, what does that all mean? Um, and so I think it's easy to break down that the sun's rays are basically UVA. So I think of A as sort of like aging and pigment, so tan, okay. Okay. and UVB, which is more the burning, B for burning. Oh. Um, and so some sunscreens, um, if they only had one component in them, would only block one or the other partially. Hmm. So that's why we always say we want to recommend a sunscreen that is broad spectrum, means it blocks both UVA and UVB. And it should say that on the bottle? It should definitely say that on the bottle. So you want to look for the words. It will say broad spectrum. That's kind of like the terminology that's used. Um, In sports, it's important to use one where it says it's water resistant. Mm. There's not a single sunscreen out that's waterproof. They don't exist. Mm. So water resistant, um, usually it'll say up to a number of minutes. Usually it's 80 minutes, so the really good ones. Okay. Um, but that just means that um, when they did the studies, it's it's better, it stays in better when sweating or in a pool or something like that. Um, and then um, you want to apply what I say is at least a golf ball size of, I, ideally you would start with a cream or a lotion form on all the areas that are going to be exposed and not protected by clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, at least like 20 to 30 minutes before you actually start playing. So before you start sweating and go outside, you want to give your sunscreen time to sort of like sink in kind Hmm. of. Um, And then ideally you would reapply every two hours or so. Um, So my trick to this myself, um, when I'm working out or playing a sport um, and it's sweaty, I totally get that it's difficult to reapply like a white cream or any kind of cream when you're sweating. And so my trick is to apply the cream sunscreen first. Kind of give you like a base sunscreen. I feel like you get more coverage that way or like you can you kind of guarantee do. where you're covered. It's definitely more coverage for sure. Mm-hmm. And then every two hours, um, you know, if you have a spray sunscreen, then go ahead and use the spray sunscreen as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, think about it like if you're playing golf, um, that means that you apply your sunscreen at the turn. So just like you would go and you would get a drink or use the restroom or do whatever. Well, that's the perfect time for you to also reapply yeah. your sunscreen. Absolutely. Easy tips like that. 
Absolutely. Now, you had talked about kind of like the concept of the UVA, UVB, UVB, and like broad spectrum um, thought process of being aware of what's on the bottle. Does it matter like what the chemical base is that they're using or like are all sunscreens treated equal? Like what do we need to be aware of like when we're trying to select them? Because I know that there's some talk about like mineral versus chemical mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So what does that mean at Yeah, so that's a great question. Probably one of my most commonly asked questions. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a difference. Not all sunscreen are are created equal. And so um, the one that I would um, argue is probably the best are the physical sunscreen. So they're the true sun block. They block the sun's rays. And um, those are sort of like, quote unquote, non-chemical formulations. Mm -hmm. Um, And those contain zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. And so those are the two things you want to look for on a label. One or the other, usually they have both, actually. And that is the physical sunscreen. Mm -hmm. And so I will tell you, everyone says, well, I don't want to wear that because it'll just turn me white. Well, they have made such amazing advancements in, in technology and yeah. sunscreen. Yeah. And the majority of it, all the sunscreen that I wear, I do not look like a ghost. No. Um, and I am wearing a very good amount of a physical sun, physical sunblock. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly there are um, chemical um, sunscreens that I also use. And mm-hmm. so things that have that in it are things like avobenzone or oxybenzone. Um, and they absorb light. And so oh. those chemicals absolutely actually absorb it. Thus, they're not as good as the blockers. Mm-hmm. Um, those are most commonly found in sunscreen sprays or the sticks. Um, and some of my favorite sunscreens actually have um, like my Neutrogena Beach Defense mm-hmm. um, SPF 100 um, is, a, is a spray. It's a chemical sunscreen, but I found out they just, um, Sunbum actually just came out with a mineral-based um, solely mineral spray. So I'm kind of intrigued to try that out that and see, shot, yeah. yeah, and see if I like that a little bit better because definitely the physical, the quote unquote, the mineral sunblocks, they definitely are better at sun protection. Interesting. So now after kind of knowing what chemical we're selecting and what spectrum we're selecting now, what about SPF rating? Yes. So the SPF rating is interesting. So SPF is very specific to UVB rays, actually. It doesn't actually mean anything for UVA. Um, And so let's say you picked up a sunblock and it said it had an SPF of 30. And so that means that your skin normally, if you were outside, your normal skin burns within 10 minutes. And so you have 30 times longer for the burn. So Mm -hmm. 30 times 10 is 300. So theoretically, your skin should be protected for 300 minutes. In reality, that's not true because studies have shown, and even I do this, that no one applies the amount of sunscreen that you, that they've produced in the studies, the Mm -hmm. like thick kind of application. No one actually does that in real life. So in my mind, I kind of play this game that it's sort of like half. So that's why I typically go for sunscreens actually that are like SPF 100 or SPF 85 or at least SPF 50 because in my mind, there's no way that I'm going to apply it as well as they did in the study. And Mm -hmm. so I'm sort of only getting half of the benefit. Interesting. Um, And so also that minutes is why we recommend reapplication, you know, every so often because just applying once a day is not going to be enough. So now um, that's, that's actually very interesting. So I know I kind of have this issue. My skin is a little bit more sensitive on my face. And I feel like that's where a lot of people are kind of more so-so about sunscreen or what to use or what to do. Do you have any suggestions for people who have sensitive skin who do break out more from that? Do you have suggestions for that or what they should look for or something like that if you don't have a direct 
I definitely, I definitely do because um, <laughs> that is also a really common question. And so um, the concept that, you know, I can't wear sunscreen because I'm allergic to it or I have sensitive skin and all sunscreens make me mm-hmm. break out. Well, there's a little bit of a trial and error when it comes to sunscreens. Again, they're not okay. all created equal. So sometimes you have to kind of um, try a, diff- a few different ones to see which ones you like. But some tips are that mineral sunscreen. So again, those that have zinc oxide and yeah. titanium dioxide are much gentler to the skin. And mm. so they will be less likely to cause any sensitivities with the sunscreen than chemical sunscreen components are. Yeah. And especially if you're prone to acne, um, there are many sunscreens out there that are mineral-based. Um, Neutrogena makes one that, just like you would for any acne product or makeup product or things like that, you want to look for something on the bottle that says that it's oil-free mm-hmm. or non-comedogenic. And okay. that just means, again, it's non-acne forming and it's mm-hmm. really not going to clog those pores. Um, I will say one of my favorite sunscreen that I use every day, and I, I definitely recommend it for athletes, is one by Elta MD, Active Sport. Um, it has an SPF of 50. In fact, I was wearing it today. And I just checked the label, and it is non-comedogenic. And oh. so it's definitely one you could use on your face, your whole body. Um, and it's something that um, wouldn't, cause an, wouldn't cause acne and is mineral-based. So, again, wouldn't be an issue for people with sensitive skin. Interesting. I also heard a fun little um, fact the other day because um, I have a lot of, like, baseball players who, like, when they wear their hat and their sunglasses, they worry about, like, sweat dripping down mm-hmm. and, like, that burn in your eyes or whatever that I read an article about looking for one that has that water resistant Mm -hmm. um, comment on it because then it's less likely to kind of draw that sunscreen down in your sweat and give you that burn in your eyes or things like that. Other reasons as to why people try maybe not to wear sunscreen the same is that it sounds like there's a lot of solutions. There are. Yeah. And the the mineral sunscreen based are the ones that we also recommend. They're the ones, if you look at like baby sunscreen, almost all of them are gonna be just zinc oxide or titanium Mm -hmm. dioxide. And those also don't, they should not burn. Okay. So if it, if there is a patient or someone's complaining of kind of it dripping in the dripping, eyes and yeah. sweat, it's probably because it's a chemical-based. Mm. Um, and so maybe switching to a mineral-based mineral might base. actually help that out. Interesting. All good things to know coming into the heat of the summer. So, you know, we're kind of talking about like all of this prevention and stuff that you're doing in the moment to care for yourself. But I think probably one of the things, and I arguably probably could be much better at this all personally, is... Um, you know, what should we be doing to check ourselves? You know, we always talk about like, there's a lot of great information about like breast cancer checks and self checks that you should be doing regularly. But I think people don't often know about the fact that you should also be doing this for your skin too. So what's kind of like, what do you suggest your patients or kind of like, what's your way that you suggest your patients to do their self checks and what should we be looking for while we're doing those self checks? Yeah. So I think that if, you as a patient, if you can answer these three questions. So one, is there a family history of skin cancer? If the answer is yes, then if you are between the ages of 20 and 30 or even younger, depending on how strong that family history is, mm-hmm. then I would say you definitely want to get an, um, at least get established with a dermatologist to get okay. an annual skin check. Um, if you don't have a family history and you're 
you've been really good about sunscreen, so you don't have a lot of those blistering sunburns, I still recommend at least checking in once. And then you can do your own self-exams kind of at home. And certainly, yeah. even if you've established with a dermatologist, um, they're going to want you to keep track of spots that you think are changing over time or mm -hmm. things that arise. So I would say that... Um, if you are doing your, your checks, so people always want to talk about their moles. And so yeah. um, the ABCDEs, they've done a really good job of talking about those. So A is asymmetry. B is border. So you want to watch out for an irregular border. C is color. So anything that has multiple color variations, mm -hmm. kind of watch out for that. Um, D is diameter. So any mole that starts to get larger than, than six millimeters, so the size of like your pinky, um, and then E is evolution and arguably is the most important thing. So something that changes over time warrants an evaluation. It might be that it's completely benign and that's just its natural history. Yeah. Um, but certainly as we get older, brand new moles um, and things like that should be checked out. But I think it's important to realize that moles that change turn into can turn into melanoma. But the most common skin cancers, like we talked about in the beginning, are actually mm -hmm. the basal cell and the squamous cell skin cancers. Mm -hmm. And those do not arise out of moles. Mm -hmm. And so those spots are going to show up as like a pink or a red bump that oh. continue to grow over time. They can bleed spontaneously or they become painful on their own. Hmm. And certainly if it's something that's not going away within a month or two, should be checked out by your dermatologist. So those are kind of my tips for ways you can kind of check. Um, and if, you, if you're a parent and your kid, you can always watch out kind of uh, moles changing or if you have a significant other or something, you know, checking the back or the backs of the legs. That's mm -hmm. always a really difficult spot that can get missed. Areas that you can't see. Exactly. You can't see those on your own. And so you have to rely on someone else to help you out. Interesting. So basically, if we're kind of seeing anything within those A through E's, I'll call them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, if we're noticing any changes like that, that's when we should be reaching out to a dermatologist to be seen yeah and or if we have a family history we should at least then be or that burn history if you yep. will um that we should just kind of make that a regular part of our care once we reach a certain point in our life that we know we should be more preventative about that is that right i would say that that is true and i will say that you know, having a, a routine annual skin exam is nothing like getting a colonoscopy or <laughs> having a mammogram or any of those things. It's a lot more so. gentle. <laughs> um, it's pretty comfortable and um, definitely something that um, would be easy to do. And easy enough. And it seems like, you know, this is something that's so simple that if we do it now, you know, it's something that if it gets ignored, it could actually have some very big, you know, repercussions. So something as simple as self-checks or getting it checked if you're unsure or, you know, practicing these sun safety guidelines really could save you a lot in the long run. It yeah. seems just that simple. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think kind of tying it all together, you know, from speaking directly to athletes, you know, when I was younger, I didn't think that I would care about this either. And certainly mm -hmm. I'm a dermatologist. I have a bias. Um, but if you think about it, um, you know, if you're an athlete, you want to make sure that your equipment and that you are like game ready. Um, and there's lots of different aspects to training and whatnot. And one thing that you, it's really easy that you don't want to hold you back is a sunburn. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's interesting. I think in 2013, the NCAA partnered um, with our American Academy of Dermatology on this um, research project and then mm -hmm. published their data and came up with some guidelines for college athletes mm -hmm. to use. 
And one of the things that they found that was um, most helpful in ensuring sunscreen use was actually if coaches, if athletic trainers, PTs, if the staff used sunscreen and promoted sunscreen during practice, Hmm. kind of made it like a water break, like a sunscreen is part of your equipment. You just have sunscreen in your bag and just like you would go do a water break, you reapply the sunscreen. And if kind of, if they were leading by example, um, then the amount of sunscreen use increased dramatically. Interesting. Um, And so that's something that we can do if you are like a coach or a trainer and things like that. You kind of put the mentality, like this is just part of your equipment and you don't want a sunburn to, you know, hinder your ability to practice at a high level. Right. Um, And using the tips that we talked about before about finding the right sunscreen, you Mm -hmm. can limit, you know, anything that would cause any rashes or any issues for you in the future too. I think that's fantastic. I think, you know, biggest take homes from this is, you know, coaches and other practitioners make this a part of your culture Mm -hmm. um, because obviously you'll benefit from it as well. Mm -hmm. But that the bigger approach is that, you know, easy prevention will save you in the short and the long term of the, you know, the experience of the burn and how it could hold you back, but also for the bigger approach of what it brings for you later in life. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we could have ended this any better (laughs) than talking about the fact that if there's one thing everyone can look at and take home from this is that sunscreen should just be a part of your equipment. Mm -hmm. It should be in your sports bag. It should be a part of your pre-game, pre-practice prep Mm -hmm. and just make it a part of your every day and then it's no longer an issue. I agree. So (laughs) thank you so much, Ashley, for being with us today. We appreciate all the information and I'm sure that everyone at least heard one thing, if not more, that they can take home with them to make their sun care program better. Mm -hmm. So thank you to all of our listeners for spending another podcast together with us here on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.